Welcome to Pool Party Radio. This is the number one podcast for getting together once a year for Halloween to talk about children's shows. That seems like a responsible thing to do. Uh, I'm your host, Parker, joined as always by my main man, co-host Razor Man Frisbee. Hey, yeah, this is the most responsible thing to do. Um, what else would you be doing this year anyway? Like, honestly. Nothing. There's nothing to yeah. do. I guess with exactly. all this ex- <laughs> with all this extra time on our hands, we could have done the entire rest <laughs> of the series, I suppose. Uh, yeah, and I guess you and I have a little bit of catching up to do because the last time we did this was uh, shortly after my wedding. And that was like the last time we saw each other. We're like, all right, well, let's go into 2020 with like all these great high hopes. And here we are. Like everything <laughs> is... Everything is uh, laid out before us. Everything seems in shambles and uh, a little bit hopeless. But, you know, <laughs> let's talk about Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> and yeah, now it's truly a kid show because this season, Gary's not on it. So you don't have to worry about cuckolding or anything. That, well, yeah, we'll talk about it. They traded cuckolding for simping. Oh, shit. <laughs> Oddly enough, they oh, knew. Oh, shit. They knew about the new buzzword uh, du jour uh, in both segments of this show, the the first mm-hmm. run and the second run. So uh, Tucker, the one returning character, kind of a simp. His brother into cuckoldry, bro- and uh, he's into simp- simpendry. Is it called simpendry? I don't know what you would call that. I think it's called misandry, isn't it? Misandry. <laughs> that might also be it. The um, simpendry. <laughs> But yeah, the year started out great. Started out with fireworks and you and your bride hugging by the lake and mm-hmm. kissing, and, <laughs> kissing, and uh, and everybody dancing. And now this, yeah, goes to show, right? Probably was the fireworks that did it, but you know we couldn't resist. Um, no, I I don't know. It's uh, it's been startling in some ways like going into a uh, pandemic like this was very bizarre our experience with it in new york was extremely surreal like i it's a it's a city where you can pretty much find anything you want but to have like a month there where you could not find toilet paper or essential goods was pretty cryptic so it's it's weird because I'd always wanted to have like whenever I watch movies like uh, Bronx Warrior or The Warriors or any other New York City 1970s film with Warrior in the title, I was like, that's the New York I want. Uh, now, not so much, because having lived through a partial version of that, I'm like, that's that's pretty bad. <laughs> it's <was> pretty awful. <laughs> and like, it's not even like it doesn't even like fit like in the warriors like everything is um like hopeless and nihilistic and like the the way that new york at the time matched that but now it's pr- probably like very eerie for you like walking down these empty streets but like the uh the m&m shop in times square is still lit up you know <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like that yeah yeah it's it's odd and then uh when we when the protests started happening um after murder george floyd we were out in the streets and whatnot and that was a different experience too because it's just like these mostly empty streets that were just flooded with people so you do go buy stuff like the uh m&m store 
<laughs> or like or like uh gap next to gap kids or something mm-hmm. and it's just a it's a weird confluence of stuff you see all like this access of buying and all this shit and then yeah i, I don't know it's it's weird it is strange a lot of stuff is shut down too um so that's been a weird thing to keep track of is like not just favorite haunts of ours, but then some of the mainstays. And it is kind of a weird feeling to get emotional and stuff like the place where Sarah and I had our first uh, meal date out when I was here. We went out to get breakfast uh, from one of my first visits. A place called Queen's Comfort. It closed. And I got kind of sad about it. And I was like, where am I going to get atomic mac and cheese balls again? And it's like, that's that's definitely besides the point. Like, there's way worse things to be worried about. But for me, I was, like, a bit touched. I don't know. Have you had anything like that happen with you, where you are? Um, nothing so sentimental, but my favorite movie theater in town is closed down forever. They had the good popcorn. Oh, man. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's hard to find a replacement for that. Yeah, and I mean, and to be fair, it was like the only theater around here that was like not a Regal or an AMC. It was like the only like mom and pop one. So it's kind of sad that they're gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised that more things haven't closed down. Like, I'm surprised that they aren't like just shuttering up like all the McDonald's and stuff like like just everything. I mean, I guess all the movie theaters are going to be closed soon, but like. I'm, and maybe it will happen, I suppose, in, in the new year. But I'm sort of surprised that like half of all businesses just have not been closed yet, like forever. Yeah, I I guess that's the other part of it. It's like the oldest record store in Manhattan closed down. And yet Chipotle is opening three more places in Queens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I yeah. don't understand why we need three more fucking Chipotle's. I saw that in somebody's Instagram post. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And instead of people like hearting it or liking it, because it's like a neighborhood themed Instagram. It's like, hey, Queen's getting three more of these Chipotle's. Isn't that great? Uh, get that avocado guacamole topping. <laughs> and instead of liking it, people were like in the comments just going, boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't understand that turn either, but here we are. I mean, the last movie I saw in theaters was at the um, IFC Center. And they'll get, like, guest directors in to come talk and all this stuff. So, like, when Parasite um, was making its rounds to the States, they actually brought in the director to come chat about it. Um, Meanwhile, I saw uh, Color Out of Space, the latest Nicolas Cage vehicle based on a H.P. Lovecraft story there where he tries to do a new england accent mm-hmm. with a heavy emphasis on the word try it is so <laughs> fucking funny it's, did you see that one i did yeah and his new england accent is especially sad because he he does it more to sh- like in scenes where he's like going crazy so like the crazier yes. he is the more new england he is and it's such a pathetic display of acting <laughs> <laughs> did you put the lambs in there what was, was the other thing he says like it's just fuck out of my face. It's so good. 
I, I I talked that movie up to people after I watched it because I came to realize like, man, I'm the only person who's seen this as of yet that I in my circle of people I talk to about these sorts of things. So I'd be like, oh, you got to go see it. It's a really good adaptation of uh, The Color Out of Space. But really, I just wanted people to like see Nicolas Cage do a New England accent. I was like, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that was like the most impressive part of the movie, I suppose. The most noteworthy part of the movie. I like the visual effects in it, too. Like to convey that it was this alien light um, force or whatever that was interloping with them it was fucking with the time and, and space of it all like especially towards the end of it but yeah whatever that's the last movie i saw in the theaters what was the last one you saw in the theaters um i think it was harley quinn we saw that one too that was Did good like i like that i i loved it i'm gonna be honest with you i didn't think i was gonna like it i went into the movie ready to goof on it like i do with all the dc movies but i thought it was just super charming yeah same but uh but yeah that was the last one i i'm sort i'm like weighing out like the risk reward factor because like a movie theater here like movies just movie theaters just opened up last week Mm -hmm. and one of them is showing psycho for halloween and so i'm like weighing out the risk reward of seeing psycho on the big screen so I don't know. Like, that's about, like, the only thing that can make me see a movie right now. Unless, well, actually, I might also go see Bill and Ted at some point. If it's oh, on screen. The new one? Yeah, I had to get it on VOD because all the theaters were closed, um, which stinks. You wait 25 years for a Bill and yes. Ted movie. Uh, How but do you I think Alex it. Winters feels? <laughs> I know. Yeah, 25 years. I thought it was longer than that. When was Bogus Journey? Was that 92, 93? Or was that 95? You're right. Yeah, it is. I think they came out in like 91 or something. So. Fuck, that's like closer to 30. Yeah. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) I know. Uh, But yeah, you might go see that in theater. Yeah, maybe. I mean, now that theaters are opening and stuff, like they don't really have anything. Like there are no new movies. Like that's like one of only seven movies released this year. So I'm. I assume someone's going to be showing it, so I might brave movie theaters for mm. that, perhaps. I did misspeak. Um, that wasn't the last movie I saw. I was telling you before this uh, recording that I wanted to talk to you about something I did last week for myself because we were just saying like we hadn't really left our abodes too much for like you know for fun, for pleasure, or pleasure, as it were. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, last Saturday, I did go to a makeshift movie uh, drive-in that's just a few blocks away from where I live here. It's this place called Bel Air Diner. Um, they share this parking lot with um, a grocery store and a Rite Aid. And just a few blocks south west of that is the home of Troma Studios. So Troma and this diner decided to team up together to show Troma movies throughout the month of October. So they're calling it Tromaween. And I decided to go see Terror Firmer. Nice. I had only seen the rated R version of Terror Firmer 
when I rented <laughs> it. And I don't know if this was intended, but amazingly, they end up showing the uncut version of Terra Firmer on this giant screen at a busy intersection with like <laughs> a grocery store. And this was like the first movie of the night. So it's like 8.30 and it's already like Lloyd Kaufman as the uh, the blind director in the movie shooting his urine all over this bathroom where two people are fucking and like nothing is left to the imagination. And that's it was hilarious because like I was one of only uh, unfortunately a handful of people who went there. But I was beside myself because I was like, how are they showing this and getting away with it? No one cared. <laughs> But like you'd hear, oh, there was also like this outside dining at a nearby restaurant and they were like seeing everything, too. So every time somebody's head exploded (laughs) or when the fat guy with the bag on his head is running around with his dick hanging out, like it just you just hear like this crowd go, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) in the background, just whoa, (laughs) it was nuts. And there is, I mean. The rated R version is like a runtime of 130 minutes. The uncut version is like close to two hours. So it's just like they they had all this excess shots and everything uncensored. It was it was wild. But I went there with Warday. Uh, Warday come out to Queens to see this with us, and yeah, it was a trip. That was so technically that is the most recent movie I've seen um, in public. And that, yeah. that's a good one to have seen in public. <laughs> they were also showing a return to Newcomb High for the rest of it, um, volumes one and two, but they had to split for that. I like those too. Those are really good. Which you might not think since they're like new and like new trauma you know you go like oh it's trauma done for me lately but those are really good <laughs> they got another one that they're going to be screening there called uh shakespeare shitstorm and i think this will be like the first public screening of it but yeah. uh yeah they were trying to make this a whole month-long thing so they started off with toxic avenger and Sergeant Kabuki Man and YPD. Um, and they got a lot of cars for that one for that evening from what I saw, like online posts and whatnot. You have Retera Farmer. I, I mean, I was on top of it. I got it like the tickets weeks early in advance. Um, you can also rent a table there instead, like if you don't have a car. And right now we don't. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just get a table and we'll get there. And I was like, oh, we should go early. And we get there and it's like us, three cars, and like two other, three other schmoes. So <laughs> it was a meager turnout, to be sure. I hope That's, they keep doing it for the month. But yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Well, Terra Farmer, like Kabuki Man and Toxic Avenger are like marquee names. Terra Firmer, while one of the better trauma movies, doesn't have that marquee value. Yeah. For sure. I didn't even I mean I was about four or five years late to that one. I remember I think it was 
I know you and Jono had mentioned it, but I also remember like meeting Brian Brady and he was very talkative about it. Like you would talk it up a lot. The escalator scene. I remember him vividly talking about the escalator scene um, somewhere in the early 2000s. And I was like, oh, I should definitely see this. But yeah, I, I think they probably should have played the rated R version. That's just my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Then the people at the diner across the street would cheer rather than boo. <laughs> oh, boo. Yeah, the, the boos were pretty funny. Um, but yeah, they're, they've been showing movies pretty successfully throughout the entire quarantine process and uncertain uh, reopening process. Like they were able to do the drive-in screenings in this uh, shared lot of theirs going back to like may or somewhere earlier like that and they've just been keeping it up because it can when it works it's a huge draw like they've for the rest of this month they're also showing like texas chainsaw massacre scream um them on elm street like a lot of classics and and uh standards and also like rocky horror plus they do like drag shows and stand-up comedy so they mix it up a bit too but yeah they've they seem to do pretty well. That seems pretty sweet. They the there's a mall here that's been showing movies on like a big inflatable screen, but they're just showing like baby stuff, like Despicable Me. So I haven't gone. Yeah, no one cares about that baby stuff. I don't wait. Need baby Despicable stuff. Me. You do care about that stuff. It's got minions in it. Oh, well, that is true. I do like those minions, and I I like the one that Trey Parker's in. To be honest. Uh, oh, he's but, in one of those. Yeah, he plays the bad guy in like part three or four or something. Mm. Um, and that one's that one's fun, but uh, you know I don't want to go hang out with a bunch of babies, you know. Yeah, so that's a, those that's are it. the kind of films I like to watch by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the privacy of your own uh, minion inflatable chair. Yeah, and all that. <laughs> I don't want anybody to see me wearing my minions' uh, feety pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a no, I understand that. <laughs> but uh, speaking of feety pajamas, uh, we were wearing our feety pajamas, you and I, while watching mm-hmm. "Are You Afraid of the Dark," a children's show. Yeah, don't want to watch that with me, babies. But I will watch <laughs> it in the comfort of my own home. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> this is something that we've been doing for the past uh, ten or twelve years where we've been watching these Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes and then talking about them. Uh, despite yes. the fact that we've been doing it for 100 years, we're only up to season six. We take it slow. It's, yeah, just a few episodes at a time, like a baby would do. But we're not babies, <laughs> and we're not going to watch these with babies. I feel like I have to delineate all of this and make the demarcations. We are so full-grown men. I, I hope so. I haven't done this show for a minute, but I still hope my muscles are intact. Um, <laughs> we've done, this is season six, episodes one through six, originally airing in 1999. This was the uh, 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 reclaiming of the throne for this show, which had ended previously, what, two years before? Yeah, and two or three, something like that. So it was time to get the midnight society back together after it so unceremoniously ended 
with a cancellation before. So it's like, how do you get this? How do you get this uh, reboot started? You know, get back in the game. And the answer is apparently to just do it with no explanation because they're just back. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> that's basically it. You don't need like too much explanation. All you need to do is make sure that Tucker um, is the one to escort us in. Who better, really? Uh, you've had like the narrative superpower that was Gary the Bull. And <laughs> now Tucker comes in. And it's the first shot. You like see the old campgrounds uh, with the fire pit and the weird rock throne chair. And Tucker's like, yeah, this feels good. This is it. This is the one. He finds the weird bag of cocaine that was stuck <laughs> next to the chair that they toss onto the uh, fire to start their stories. And he's like, it's all coming back. And he brings a new group with them um, that includes uh, Eliza Cuthbert. I hope I'm saying and pronouncing her name correctly. Do you know yeah. her name? Um, yeah, I, I think that's right. Eliza Cuthbert, Cuthbert, something like that. But yeah, she's, interestingly enough, she's now part of the Midnight Society, but she's famous in real life. Uh, I'm used to these people showing up on Are You Afraid of the Dark who never did anything ever again. Um, but she's famous. She was in movies. She was on 24. Mm-hmm. So it's it's odd to see her. Um, yeah. But you and, also have... She's playing Megan, and then there's also Venge, Andy, and Quinn. Yeah, although you get the impression, and this is this is what I was hinting at before about the simping. You get the impression that Tucker just got like just wanted to start the Midnight Society over just to get close to Eliza Cuthbert because yes, yeah, the, the prologues of like three of these episodes we're going to talk about is him subtly having a crush on her yeah i am glad you caught that because even though he was on like the first iteration of the show um he comes through in this one and like that first episode man i don't know if you had the same audio quality that i did but tucker is like just in the deep throes of puberty (laughs) like his voice is all over the fucking place yeah it is rough (laughs) Well, it, yeah, it's wild because the last time we saw him, he was the youngest of the crew. And now he he's like, you know, he's like submitted for the approval. Like he's a grown man now. But also mixed with that, like I want to say fully grown because he's like submitted for the approval. <laughs> like I thought he was sick at first or that he had some like <laughs> vocal cord damage. And then it occurred to me, it's like, oh, he's only like a few years oh oh oh. (laughs) like this kid is finding hair down there it is it is distressing um so they did not get him like the vocal coaching that he needed for that they're just like we really got to reboot this show so man up son you're you're the head of the midnight society he's like but i can't like you have to (laughs) and yeah that for me that made it all the more uncomfortable when he was like subtly flirting at or trying to hit on uh, the Megan character, Eliza Cuthbert, because even though Tucker was like, 
maybe it's because he was the youngest on the first iteration of the show. And then seeing him now, I'm like, oh, this is like years down the line. It's really not. But it feels like he's the oldest one now. He's taking the role of Gary. Mm -hmm. Gary would like flirt with one of the uh, other members of the uh, Minnesota Society then. But you kind of got in the mindset that they were all in high school. I don't know if this Megan girl's in high school. Maybe she's like a freshman. Maybe she's still in middle school. Like, it's hard to gauge the ages of these people. So I'm just like, Tucker, fucking cool your jets, man. <laughs> yeah. And then the other girl, she seems way younger than everybody else. So it is hard to get a grasp yes. on the ages of everybody. Yeah. So it's a little strange. It is. Uh, but so but is yeah. The, yeah. Oh, well, okay. So, so to get into this, say? well, like, just that, it, like, it is like it does feel like I said like that he just gets this whole crew back together just to flirt with this girl because they I mean I you know I guess they're borrowing from the original crew and stuff but like nobody really seems to like each other and that's yeah. like the one kid tells them that he's still going to ignore them at school which is funny because that happens in that movie we watched last year or the the mini series that we watched yeah, the first episode yeah. of Mhm um, which I still haven't seen all of, and I really need to because that was good. That was good. So yeah, like there's a little bit of not just simping, but also negging. I don't know why <laughs> negging used to happen in this group, but yeah, everything <laughs> everything mentioned in that uh, the game book by Neil Strauss is is how the interpersonal politics play out in the in the Midnight Society. Um. <laughs> But so, OK, so this is the first episode outside of that prologue is called The Tale of the Forever Game. According to Wikipedia, it's different on different websites, but this is this is the way we're doing it. Uh, yeah. A, te a teen boy finds himself trapped along with his best friend and his sister as pawns in a life or death board game. Uh, Tucker tells this story. And in this. These kids are out in the woods. One of them finds a spooky cave. Uh, with a, and there's like a kid that's dressed like Frodo in there, and mm -hmm. the, the kid that is dressed like Frodo, whose name is Nathaniel. <laughs> yes, he, <laughs> he says, "Hey, you know, to the what seems to be the oldest of these three, he says, hey, we got to play this game." You know, he pulls out this Jumanji ass board game. Yeah, and uh, they play, and when when things, you know, depending on where they land things happen in the real world and they can watch it on a little TV in the, in the middle of the board game. So like, you know, they sit, they, they land on the lightning bolts square and then lightning happens in real life. And mm -hmm. it's, I don't know. How did you feel about this one? I, at, at this point in the story, I hated this one a lot. I fucking hated this one. <laughs> like I was, I was bored to tears with like this Jumanji ripoff. And it was fretful that this was like the first episode. Like as I'm watching it play out, I'm just like, oh no, just progressively more. Oh no's not in fear of the, what might happen next in the story, just that the story was continuing at this very rough pace. Um, so yeah, Peter is the, the older brother to his younger sister, Monica. And one of Peter's friends is along for the ride. And Peter's just an asshole. 
like they did have this conversation <laughs> early on and like man peter's just uh he's he just wants you to catch up like he wants to see what you're made of monica and she's like oh so he's a jerk and his friend's like yeah he's a jerk <laughs> it's like why are you hanging out with him why are you doing any of this but uh when they get lost in the woods off of a renegade bike trail is how peter refers to it which i thought was weird um peter decides to ditch them gets in he gets sucked inside this tree thing into the little cavernous space where this game is happening and yeah once you get him like one-on-one you see even more so that he's an asshole to a stranger he's just met through the most magical means possible like he's not like hey where am i what's going on or any of this stuff he's just like a dick to this 1930s looking dopey kid this frodo looking baggins uh so nathaniel this the frodo child he's like so your sister that's her out there because they can see what's going on through this magical mirror thing that peter's not impressed with at all and peter's like (laughs) ah i hate her she's a waste of space and he talks just like that too so he has like this weird he has this weird like prohibition gangster vocalization to everything he says so he's like a guy out of place too peter even though he's talking to a kid who's like stuck in the 1920s and then nathaniel offers to play this game and peter's like yeah sure why not and nathaniel goes wonderful then peter says geez lighten up pal and I thought that was like again going along with that gangster vibrato, but it's... Peter has like no idea to talk to people, and that's what makes part of this like so hard to watch. And then it's just you're not invested in any of it. <laughs> like all this weird shit's happening to people, to like the only two good characters in it. Well, Peter and Nathaniel are playing this Jumanji game that's having all the meta effects outside. And yeah, it's just the fucking worst. It's like, so you're you're torturing these people outside, but they're managing. I know they're going to be OK. Um, yeah, there's the the lightning that you mentioned. And then the rules keep changing, like Peter lands on a square where it's the the burden beast. And Nathaniel's like, oh, yeah, the burden beast. Uh, they're here throughout the rest of the game. That one keeps going. And Peter's like. Okay, cool. You didn't mention that before, but that's fine. So, like, this this character that looks like a full-grown man wearing one of the Troll 2 masks. Like, it is a very shitty mask. Mm-hmm. He starts chasing the kids and kind of disappears for a while and then, of course, shows up at the end. Um, yeah. That, yeah. So, like, that, half grew up, I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, that monster was really bad. Like, I get what they were going for. He's kind of a werewolf type of a thing, but he like grows thumbnails and then throws his thumbnails at the kids. And it's like, what is yeah. happening here? Yeah, then... I can't. Do that, so, <laughs> <laughs> and then the little girl like just figures it out that you have to knock the tree over to stop the game. It's like, none of that makes any sense. Like how do they even found out that they were in a game? I have no idea. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing they're just like, hey, man, that is some nonsensical shit. When I was watching it and her entire reasoning was like, well, Peter's not here. 
So obviously probably got sucked into the street. <laughs> yeah. So we should shake it back and forth. Like I'm piecing out at that point. I'm like, you have fun shaking this tree. I'm going home. I know this is like an, an infernal loop that we can't get out of, but I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. Yeah. And so knocking the tree over, it finished, it nulls and voids the, the game and it turns out Nathaniel uh, has been trapped down there, as the, the name of the game implies, forever. And he reemerges as like a 90-year-old dude and then just goes home, I guess. I don't know. Like, there's no comeuppance for him. There's no anything. Like, he's not like, oh, what do I do now in my life? I'm a 90-year-old dude. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, like, who fell into this tree before the Great Depression. Uh, like... No, he's just like, all right, kids. Well, we're we're safe. See you guys later. <laughs> like, it's the wildest <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's it's a really fucked up ending. And then Peter is like all gushy over his younger sister. He's like, oh, I saw everything. You were terrific. Forget <laughs> about it. <laughs> Capiche? Capiche, Paisano? Hey, Gabagool um, over here. <laughs> <laughs> Go get your shoe shine box. Yeah. <laughs> and, and other phrases. Um, I trusted you, Monica. Gives her a kiss on the forehead. <laughs> so, yeah, it just, like you said, it just abruptly ends with this old guy being like, oh, okay, bye. Like, you don't yeah. really learn much about that whole relationship. It's about, like, Peter uh, coming to terms that his little sister is very resourceful and that all she had to do was prove herself under the most magical, surreal circumstances to earn his love and affection, which I think we can all relate to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, something we can't relate to, though, is the tale of the gruesome gourmets. Uh, in this episode, Tommy and David suspect that their overly cheery new neighbors who are into cooking are the reason why the people in town have gone missing. Uh, Megan tells this story and it is incredible because uh, it's definitely a product of the late nineties because these two guys move in. They're very cool. They're having a good time. They're uh, they got a business where they sell pineapple cider. They're very happy guys. And the two kids who are the protagonists uh, make fun of them and they do the limp wrist motion. And, it's just, and it is not something I was expecting from this television show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was progressive on cuckolding and simping, but uh, not so much this. Well, the entire is episode is like these two kids cannot get a successful read on their neighbors and are so flummoxed that they feel as though Yes, perhaps they are homosexual lovers and that they are cannibals, which, mm -hmm. if you take one with the other, is a very bizarre stereotype. <laughs> However, <laughs> I think it's just these kids being complete assholes and not understanding anything. Well, yeah, well, I mean, that's what I was like, partially what I was confused about. Like, it's like, I was like, at first I was like, okay, well, this is like, kind of progressive that these guys like that this show has these two gay guys moving in um but then they get made fun of for being gay and i was like well 
this, this doesn't add up at all. What does this show want me to take away from this? But yeah. I guess the show wants me to take away just that they're cannibals. I, I don't think that, they probably didn't put any more thought into it than that. Probably not. No, I mean, it's it's a wacky episode like the previous episode for as for as awful as we discussed it out to be and and criticized it for like it's supposed to be it's still trying to assume the role of a horror genre film or a show this one is like very wackadoo like uh incidental music and some funny shots in there like one of the the younger brother because he's an idiot leaves his bike in the middle of the driveway which somebody else runs over it's the next neighbor chuck Mm -hmm. it looks like and kind of sounds like a younger version of brett the hitman heart like he's got the same (laughs) hair and he comes up to the kid after he runs over the bike and he's like your bike messed up my car he does this weird hand motions with his arms like he's flexing (laughs) but he's angry and it's just the funniest shit like chuck was hilarious chuck also does a bit of uh very bizarre trespassing and stalking when the younger brother is like having a dream it's his first inclination like oh my neighbors might be cannibals and it's all a dream sequence of course but he wakes up from it and he's like whoa oh they they might be cannibals and he, he's looking up and in his fucking bedroom is neighbor Chuck standing over him and says, I don't know what you were just dreamed about, but your ass is toast tomorrow. <laughs> and it's like, and the kid's like, ah, oh, geez. Like, you just don't worry about your neighbors upstairs. Worry about the neighbor who's breaking into your bedroom and threatening you. Like, I don't understand this episode at all. <laughs> it's very weird. Um, and they're like, yeah, it, it kind of like turns like John Watersy because like all these like weird like campy neighbors start co- coming over. Like, yeah, that very jolly lady who like dressed like Minnie Mouse and like they're playing like tuba music and like all this mm-hmm. like silly campy stuff. Um, it's very strange. And then but like as as the episode goes on, you realize like these guys aren't cannibals. Uh, they're wearing suspenders. The one guy mentions his suspenders at one point. They're wearing those um, newsboy caps and they're wearing bow ties. So they're not cannibals. They just really like ska. Yeah. And that's the which, twist. Which I can understand people being very suspect of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you're not as having dressed like that myself, I understand that people are like willing to think that you're a, willing to eat people. Um, cannibalize and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And also you'd be into like very exotic drinks like pineapple. What the fuck was it again? I can't remember. Pineapple, pineapple. cider. Cider. Cider, yeah. Yeah. Some of our <laughs> famous pineapple cider. Yeah, I like the I like a lot of the characters in this one, but the episode was just like that mistaken uh uh presentation that they're going through just wondering like trying to break into neighbors houses and it's it's weird that when they're confronted with it like they they kind of take a step back and like now breaking in is wrong but when their neighbor does it to them i still can't get over that scene like it's just so weird anyway like 
yeah, there's all this stuff where it's being confused for being cannibals. And at the end, all the misunderstandings are cleared up in this big, like, it's like a situational comedy where everybody comes together at the end. It's like, well, I thought you saw this doing this. And aren't you eating people? And like, no, we're not eating people. Turns out the girl in the Minnie Mouse dress is still alive. And then they can't seem to find where Chuck is. So they're like, come over for dinner. We're doing a luau theme. And they've made placemats out of Chuck's shirt. And then they're going to have something called like Chuck. It's not Chuck roast, but something like that. Yeah. Where it's like, it's like the like name Chuck of steak, maybe Chuck steak on potato buns or whatever. And they start laughing maniacally. And then the kids are like, OK, here we go again. Maybe they are cannibals. So what do you think? Are they cannibals? I don't know. I mean, I guess so. If they're going to eat Chuck. Did they? Might even, I mean, I don't know. I guess it's up in the air. Hmm. I guess you got to believe what you want to believe about these guys. Or maybe that's the whole episode's like commentary is like, if at the end you believe that they're cannibals, then maybe you're homophobic. I think that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Where's Sherlock when you need this? case called uh yeah so another another weird one but slightly better because like to my mind i thought the characters were a bit more enjoyable um yeah yeah like the characters were fun but it and i i definitely like the babysitter she was like the most 90s looking girl i've seen since the 90s she she was a fox right (laughs) yeah like she was just like she was dressed the way that like everybody in like Blink One Eighty Two videos were dressed at the time. Yeah, it was like a very tight long sleeve shirt with lots of poof on the uh, collars and uh, neckline. It was a good time for fashion. It was an excellent time for fashion. Yes, uh, but was it a good time for zombie dice? Because episode three, the tale of the zombie dice, uh, in this episode. Uh, Alex and his friends go to a new arcade owned by a man named Mr. Click, who has a strange way of dealing with anyone who loses at his games. This is a Vange story, and it sucks shit. (laughs) Uh, Oh, there's more. I forget exactly what happened. Oh, is is this the one where in the prologue, uh, Eliza... Cuthbert brings that couch and then like Tucker's all amped up to sit on the couch with her, but then she like sits on a different chair instead. Yeah. So it's a, it's already a bad sign that they're like moving in gross furniture. Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, I don't know how long this has been out, but let's put out here in the elements these cushions and everything else that can just soak in rainwater and animal waste. Yeah. You no, know, like that's how you know this is a Canadian show, because they'd totally be willing to sit on that immediately. Yeah. Well, it's probably still be clean in Canada. You know, they're 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 a tidy bunch up there. I'm sure they have like people just going around cleaning up the old abandoned couches in the woods. I think that's yeah. I wanted to be more uh, nefarious when I mentioned that comment, but truthfully that is what it is, right? They're just better at taking care of stuff, <laughs> even disposed of stuff. They're like, oh, I better clean off this garbage. It's like, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably why Nathaniel 
in that one episode, like just is like okay with being like a ninety five year old dude with nowhere to go because like he knows Canada's gonna take care of him. <laughs> yes. He's like, Well, thanks for getting me out of that tree. Time to enjoy all the benefits of our social welfare. So Yeah, so they move in this gross furniture and Tucker's like getting a mild erection and then he has to share the couch with like somebody else who's not the woman that he's after. So then uh, Van starts the story and it's about games and risk. Um, it's very odd because it starts off with like some kid, some nameless kid getting pushed into a basement and then going over to this beam of light where this tall guy who he refers to as Lurch as an Adams Family reference as like a, a tall vocalist, pale looking guy by this weird beam of light and he's like puts his hand on it and then the kid just we don't know what happens it transitions into um a cafeteria like a schoolroom school cafeteria where this kid named tank is running a game of three card monty so i was getting pretty excited for this episode at this point i was like all right gambling this is awesome <laughs> finally finally and then Jay Burakel, or Burakel, comes in. You know him from, uh, um, what is it? This is the end. He's yeah. the friend who visits Seth Rogen in that movie. Yeah, he's a million dollar baby. And I think he's in like Freaks and Geeks. He's all over the place. You know him. You know him. You he's love not, him. He's not quite DJ Qualls, but you know you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. It's one of those He's types. in a... Uh, the goon if you ever watched goon um he's the best friend in that movie he plays everybody's best friend until the fx show about uh him dating which was pretty good that was a pretty good show um so anyway people think that tank is pretty cool tank is not cool but they say that about him to help establish it in the show um (laughs) tank wins a lot at whatever he does. And they go to Click's Emporium, which is the new arcade, as Parker already mentioned from the synopsis, um, where they meet Mr. Click because Tank is just tearing it up all over the place. And Jay Burakel's character, Alexander is his name, is referred to as a granny. So there you have it. He's a granny. <laughs> um, so he kind of hangs out the bar and doesn't like play games or anything. And Tank resents him for this. Calls my granny. Um, then Mr. Click shows up and he's very creepy. His very creepy smile. He says playing games and taking that risk takes a certain type to be a gamesman, which I thought was very funny. I did like that line, yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, I I had a hard time paying attention to this episode because, uh, like, the first half is just, like, Mr. Click, like, trying to get Jay Baruchel to play games with him, and Jay Baruchel's like, nah, I'm good. And it's, like, it's not like, very exciting. <laughs> I'm 14 and you're 38, so no. <laughs> but Tank's yeah. all about it, yeah. Tank is... Tank, at first, doesn't want to play, and Alexander, like, shoes him away from it. But then he comes back because he's 
he's dank. He's the coolest kid. He's like, yeah, I don't I don't lose at anything. So he decides to go into the back room and play a game. The game is zombie dice. Yeah. And in the out. Is like, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Uh, it's just two dice, big wooden dice um, that are blank aside from one red skull on a side. On a single side of each of either dice. And if the two skulls, it takes like three rolls of both die. If a red skull shows facing up on either dice once, it just can only be once, then Mr. Click wins. Yeah, and like this title, like none of this makes sense. Like, I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like it's zombie dice and there is a zombie in there at some point. Like he's like the the henchman. But if you lose the game, you get shrunk down and turned into a pet. Yeah, so, but you don't change. I mean, you retain like all your human physical features. You're just three inches tall. So yeah. don't get twisted and it's like an iguana pet or something. You're just a small child pet to be sold to the highest bidder, possibly in Australia, as this show suggests, which <laughs> I don't know what that says about like small child pet rings happening in Australia, but there you go. <laughs> it's more likely than you think. More likely than you think. Uh, Why isn't like... QAnon talking about this? We should be talking about small child pet rings. <laughs> Zombie dice gate. <laughs> click gate. It's not click gate, it's click gate. <laughs> so, so yeah, all this dumb stuff happens, and then at the end, uh, Jay Barrow Shell like, this is how, every, like, the friend is going to be shrunk down and turned into a pet and sent to Australians. And then this is how the dramatic ending goes. Is Jay Baruchel, uh makes a wager with Mr. Click that he can drink Mountain Dew really fast. <laughs> it's Damn. a very 90s show. He was just trying to be extreme. <laughs> that is true. He did, he did slam it and then snowboard afterwards. Um so yeah so that happens he drinks the mountain dew and then everything goes back to normal and uh very tellingly at the end of the episode one of the kids in the midnight society is asleep on the couch because the story is boring <laughs> as fuck and they don't wake him up either they're just like oh leave him be in the middle of the woods with the fire still going <laughs> Because our friend is a fucking hobo. Let's just do that. Uh, it's um, so dangerous. <laughs> I was thinking the same. Like, yeah, that's right. Story is so fucking boring. This kid fell dead ass asleep. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um, during the story itself, one part that I thought was pretty great uh, is when Tank goes to play the game the first round with Mr. Click. He gets, he gets uh, enticed to play because Mister Click compares him to his friend Alex, and he's immediately enraged by this. He's like, "How dare you compare me to that coward?" <laughs> like, I will play this this creepy game with you. Clearly, much older than I am, man. And then when he goes back there, it's like this tense game. Mister Click rolls the dice once. He rolls it twice. Nothing. And then a third time. A red skull appears, and then Tank goes, This is a stupid game. 
kid, like, he never loses at all in this episode. He's just like, somebody's got to take a risk. Hey, I'll bet you this. Yep. No, oh, better luck next time, guy. And then the one time, like, he loses everything. You're like, this is a stupid game. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I lost my shit. Um, but like yeah, the, I mean, the, I mean, he was he was telling the truth, though. The game was pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was it was the stupidest game. Mr. Click. Mr. Click, I guess, I don't know, he's he's got some power, but mostly just has this lucrative child shrinking ring that he in, employed. But uh, then at the end, yeah, like you already mentioned the end of the story, but yeah, he beats him in that Mountain Dew game, shrinks him down. So that was a kind of relief because now we don't have to worry about him being a recurring character uh, and having to deal with this stupid dumb shit again. I always thought like the the gamesmen villains were always like the worst like arcade from uh, x-men yeah and sadly two out of th- three episodes so far are about gamesmen villains so <sighs> yeah it's it is not shaping up to be a, a banger season at all um especially if like members of the midnight society are just like fuck this i'm napping <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so let's try let's try see episode four then the tale of the misfortune cookie um this is a story by andy the chubby ginger kid <laughs> and the story is about david a struggling comic book artist slaving away at his parents failing chinese restaurant takes his grandfather's golden fortune cookies that's not a euphemism for anything and wishes that his life would be better, which sends him into an alternate reality where David is famous for his comic books and the restaurant is a success. But the wish goes awry when his parents in this alternate reality are too busy with the restaurant's success to care about being a family. His sister, who is now a punk, who lives with her delinquent boyfriend, plots on selling the golden fortune cookies to start a new life away from her family. And a black-clad Chinese warrior is after David. So that's... That is a complex synopsis, but, you know, this is probably the best episode so far. Um, I like this one a great deal. Like, I thought they developed characters. Is it a blatant ripoff of It's a Wonderful Life? Absolutely. (laughs) It is. But at the same time... Well, at the same time, It's a Wonderful Life would be better if there was, like, an evil samurai in it. Yeah, instead of an angel. I've thought this numerous times in the past. I was like, <laughs> why are we dealing with this this guardian angel with George Bailey when there could be a badass samurai warlord uh, following him around? And his main entrance is pretty fucking cool. It is surreal as hell. Like, David's trying to re-enter the family business through like this um, alleyway entrance and it immediately just fills with smoke. And then this black clad samurai warrior comes out or I guess not samurai, but like a Chinese warrior. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like all black and like, he's got like this cool, like mask helmet and like, a red sword. He kind of looks like, like, did you ever have that edition of the stand? With like the two guys fighting, like the spy versus spy guys with the sickles fighting. Did you ever I've see that? Seen, I know the cover. I know the cover. Yeah. He kind of looks like that guy, sorta. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's a callback to the cover of the box that the character David receives from the grandfather that holds the golden fortune cookies. So, yeah, so basically, as the synopsis was reaching out, David has a pretty sweet life, but he's not satisfied because he's young and wants to get a move on with things instead of helping out the family restaurant. His sister is pretty cool. Like, they get along. He helps her out with her homework, and she's doing well. Um, but then his grandfather, like, overhears him talking disparagingly about, like, being at this place and not feeling good about it. So the grandfather decides to give him this family heirloom where he's like, you just have to admire the box. You don't open the box. So David, of course, opens the box, cracks open a fortune cookie, and is transported to his wildest dreams coming true. He is so successful as a comic book artist that he has a limo to drive him places. So already it's <laughs> bullshit. Like, that's not happening anywhere. Well, but, it yeah, was 1999, he... so I think Rob Liefeld probably had a limo to take him <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> oh, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> right this probably way, right. sir. You've got pouches to draw. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he goes back to the... Uh, to the Chinese restaurant as he's assessing the alternate reality that he's in. Um, his parents don't recognize him. His sister doesn't recognize him. And his sister, who is now a very cool-looking punk, she's got, like, big purple hair, uh, Susie Sue-type eyeliner and makeup. Um, yeah, it looks like she could rough up people. It's pretty fucking dope. She's pissed all the time, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's mad at her parents for not giving her more money, which is about as punk as it gets. Uh, you know. <laughs> True. But she is dating that creepy old dude, which is very weird because like that guy's got like a job and she's yeah. supposed to be in high school. Yeah, it's even creepier, like in the true reality when that guy mm -hmm. is first introduced and he hits on this young sister who's like clearly you know maybe maybe high school age meanwhile he's like driving and voting and buying alcohol <laughs> yeah I, to be fair i think she's older in the alternate reality because i think the alternate reality is in the future a bit so oh yeah yeah okay so it's a little bit better i guess but <laughs> a little bit much. um yeah i also loved this episode uh, I thought it was really super fun and uh, you get all the characters and like, I didn't know where it was going to go. Like so many of these, like, you know exactly where they're going to go. Like, all right, Mr. Click's up to something no good. And Jay Baruchel's going to have to, <laughs> to chug a bunch of Mountain Dew to stop it. <laughs> Same old shit. Clear, clearly. <laughs> yeah. You just don't know what color it's going to be. Is it like, is it Baja Blast or is it... <laughs> old school <laughs> but in this like i i had no idea what was going to happen at all like when he he gets the box i thought there was going to be a monster in there and i mean yeah. sort of the kind of is but not not in the way i was thinking and yeah I, you know then i thought maybe he was in a future where like he never existed but the future like was a place where like he still existed sort of and then there was the monster on top of it like they just kept throwing stuff at me and i loved it all yeah same um, I like that when the Chinese warrior appears, like, I thought that his life was at risk and I thought it was impressive. He looked like a villain out of Dark Souls or something. And it's like, 
there's no way he can roll out of this one. But he ends up uh, only appearing at these very specific instances that I thought was very clever. Turns out when David finally confronts him, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Why do you keep like, why are you here? What are you doing? He's like, I'm protecting you. He's like, protecting me? So you're trying to kill me. He's like, no, I'm protecting you from all the situations that would put you back in your past reality. If you want to stay in this one, this is what you wanted, right? And I thought that was like very cool. Like this mm-hmm. guy was trying to be a bodyguard for this alternate reality and like basically was this information blocker where he's like, you know, the moment that you have any sort of interest in getting your shitty job back, then that's where I jump in. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's like, once David confronts him, he's like, I like that shitty job. Then the Chinese warrior is like, oh, my power. <laughs> <laughs> and collapses. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, it does seem like it's just like kind of a generic monster there to get in the way and like add tension. But the fact that it's like part of the story is really good. Yeah. Yeah. This this one was like the highlight for me for um, these sex episodes to be sure. And I love like the family dynamics, like how they all interact with each other Um, for as little time as they had to explore any of that. I thought it was great. Um, Yeah. yeah. This is a good one. I agree. Um, Yeah. So then I suppose the next one is the tale of Jake the snake, which uh, as you mentioned is disappointing because it has nothing to do with Jake the snake. (laughs) Roberts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I guess that uh, we should get the synopsis out of the way here. So a struggling ice hockey player named Wiley finds a former hockey greats stick and uses it to ace the tryouts, but discovers that the stick has cursed him into becoming a snake. So again, you can clearly tell that this is a story told by Tucker because it's not good. <laughs> and the villain is Jake the Snake Desmond, which is unfortunate because it's like just one name off from being a really great story. Yeah, um, I thought this was going to be a retelling of the time that Snake Roberts ruined my wedding. <laughs> right. <But. laughs> I thought it was going to be a retelling of the time that Jake Roberts uh, uh, put Undertaker into that spooky coffin made him face his, or no, Ultimate Warrior. His Ultimate Warrior made face his fears. Oh, yeah, that was spooky. Or the time that uh, he put a snake on Macho Man Randy Savage's body, which then bit his pectoral. Yeah. And that was, that was a snake going off script. So <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah, this was, despite from that, like, this is a, a fairly standard Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, I think. Um, magic Device and uh it cursing the user somehow the person who implemented said device is like kind of nestled somewhere in a lair trying to feed off of the living energy and then turns out all you have to do is like break the the magic implement to reverse everything um but hockey's in it so again you know it's very canadian it is shocking that it's taken us 70 episodes to get a haunted hockey stick episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I guess it's because they couldn't do like a haunted Molson or something. 
<laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this episode sucks. Um, I think the only neat part was Jake the snake who does show up and it's very clear that he's like snake like when he first appears on the screen because they make like these weird slithering noises, but they sound more like squishy, which is not what a snake sounds like. But it's this hooded guy who's like, take get this hockey great stuff and use it to become great. Uh, but his facial effects are kind of cool. The CGI Cobra effects in this episode are very uncool. <laughs> yeah, those are really bad. But I was going to say that the way he looks, like at first, like you said, he's in shadow and he, you can't see him at all. But when he reveals his face, like he's got this dark hood. You can't see any of his skin. You just see these white eyes and these white fangs. And I thought it was terrifying. If I was a little kid watching this, I would be fucked up for life, I think. You know, it would have been, yeah, I, I think it would have been terrified as a kid if I watched this. Only if I had also seen those like late 80s drug dealer commercials where it's the guy who progressively turns more and more into like a cobra for a head. Do you remember this? I do not know. but I... Oh, God, this they used to play on USA all the time. And I was terrified. I remember watching this as a kid. And it's this guy who's like, hey, just one hit to get you high. And then he passes by like a column or a street lamp or somebody obstructs his view and he turns a little bit more snake like and then a little bit more snake like. And then he's got like the full upper torso of a cobra wearing a leather jacket, which now I think is very cool. But at the time <laughs> I was very scared. Um, so if, if if I saw this guy with like the snake eyes and fangs, I'd be like, oh, don't take off your hood, because if you're a snake man under that, I don't want to see it. But I thought it was a very cool <laughs> effect watching it now um so yeah that in his hand looked pretty good uh, i thought that was pretty clever also yeah. wiley is like the dumbest character we've encountered so far because he goes down into the basement to look for that hockey player's um equipment and the first thing he like steps on is like a uh, a sticky mousetrap he's like oh and he takes it off with his hand then he reaches into a box and immediately touches some snake skin that's been discarded. He's like, ugh. <laughs> and then he, he finds all the items that he needs to. And then he's walking by and he puts his hand on something else that he does not need to touch. He's found everything he needs to. And he puts his hand on another sticky mouse trap and he's like, ugh. <laughs> so this kid is like dumb as rocks. Um, he would not survive the COVID pandemic. That's what I have in my notes. I am not even joking. Uh, yeah. He's out there Where touching everything. Yeah. Oh, that's so fucking funny. And he gets like that staph infection and his solution is to put zit cream on it. <laughs> oh, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. I, I have in my notes goes to the Freddy Krueger boilers. Wiley cannot stop touching things. Uh, I uh, stick trap snakeskin. Then I say he likely died in the pandemic. So <laughs> probably there you have it. But then again, he's Canadian, so he's he, he probably lived. They got the good health care and stuff. They locked it down. <laughs> they won't even let us in there. That's how bad we are. <laughs> it's like, no, no, just stay there. eh? fuck. Ah, embarrassing. Um, uh, yeah, the CGI <laughs> Cobra that appears in this. He reminds me of like the CGI tiger that used to appear in those uh, lawyer commercials back in Ohio. Oh, yeah. For yeah. the uh, t 
tough, smart attorneys. Oh, I remember those guys. I love those guys. Yeah. The guy looks so sincere. He's like, have you been hurt in an automobile accident? I can turn into a tiger. And he does. <laughs> and... That's what I look for. Like, I, like, that's what I look for in a lawyer is a guy who can turn into a tiger. To whereas that's what I don't look for in a drug dealer is a guy who can turn into a snake. Yeah. Anamorphs for a lawyer, good. Anamorphs for my criminal, bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that brings us to the tale of the virtual pets. This is an episode I've been waiting since the very first time we've done this. Really? Uh, yeah. I've always, like, I, I heard about this episode a million years ago. I was no longer watching this show because I was like 18 at the time that this reboot was airing. <laughs> um, so I was out of it, but I, it's, it's something I like would see in like TV guide or like maybe hear about it on the internet that they made an episode about haunted virtual pets. Mm -hmm. uh, and that sounds waste. Like it sounds so nineties. I would just love to see it. So the, well, I like this synopsis though, cause it says the late 1990s fad. So right off the bat, it's got mm -hmm. you hooked. <laughs> of virtual pets get skewered in this tale of a computer illiterate girl whose choice is not getting into the latest toy fad known as diggers becomes the key in stopping them when it is found that the diggers are aliens who feed on information and brainwash humans this is another tale by uh vange and yeah straight away it it locks you in it's like that um, that 90s horror film with uh, the kid from Terminator 2 in it. Um, can't remember the name now. But... Edward Furlong, Brain Scan? Brain Scan, yes, that's yeah. the one. Reminds me of Brain Scan because it's a lot of like uh, pseudo-computer hacker lingo floating around and the dangers of technology. Yeah. But it's also Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like to a T. Yeah, exactly. Like the the virtual pets, I feel like they just added that like at the last minute, like on the fly while filming or something, because it doesn't like it's mostly just body snatchers. But with yeah. like like e body snatchers. Um yeah. But, yeah. but like the beginning of this when Vange is like doing her spiel about like, you know, like she basically like sums up everything about um black mirror she's like what if you had an email but the email had you you know she's like what if you went to check your laptop but the laptop checked you like it's so silly and goofy i love it yeah. um and then so i was like really hyped up based on that like the you know and the fact that in 1999 they were already like you know giving you this anti-technology you know your cell phone is bad spiel i is kind of cool and ahead of its time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, it's also funny that uh, the girl who um, typifies it is the Megan character again, the Eliza Cuthbert character, where she's uh, she gets a page on her beeper from her mom, <laughs> and then has to call her mom back on a separate cell phone. So maybe Megan's like a drug dealer in her non midnight society time. We don't know. That would it could explain... be turned into a cobra right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's 
that part's kind of the highlight of the episode for me. But the episode's all right. I mean, I love Body Snatchers. Uh, I love all those Body Snatchers movies, except for the Nicole Kidman one. So, yeah, like, you know, and like, I don't know. I mean, it's a cute metaphor. Like, you check your email too much, so you turn into like a mindless zombie. I don't know. Like, the writing's like, it's pretty on the nose, but it's also like pretty cute in the way that they do it. Um, there is one part where like the girl gets turned into uh, a body snatcher by Digger, which means that she now has a tattoo on her neck, which like if you're trying to blend in and body snatch people, why give them tattoos? But it seems like that would hurt your cause. But her friend is like a real like she's very negative. Like you don't need toxic friends like this in your life, even if you are a Digger body snatcher, because like the girl comes out to go to school and her friend is like, hey, weren't you wearing those clothes yesterday? And then she's like, hey, uh, what's up with that tattoo on your neck? And she's like, oh, yeah, I got it last night. And the girl's like, well, it's gross. <laughs> it's like, you need <laughs> yes. to cut people like this out of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to learn anything. She's like, I don't need computers. It's like, yeah, you do. <laughs> you really do. Like, mm-hmm. are you just going to? go off the grid or something like go up further north in Ontario and just slum it with some moose and whatnot. (laughs) So, but yeah, she, she instead decides to like just nag all of her friends about their clothing style and neck tattoos. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty gross on her part. And she's also kind of, I don't know, goofy um whimsical maybe like there's this weird scene that happens early on when she's like who needs computers when i can have fun looking at this and she draws her friend over to a uh to a space between two mirrors that are facing each other creating a a infinite reflection effect so if you ever like had two mirrors that face each other they bounce the reflection off and off and off each other so you get multiple versions of yourself in the reflection of when you look into the mirror. It's like, see, all you need are mirrors and light rays. So that's like the first clue that your friend is boring and probably don't need to hang out with them. (laughs) (laughs) And it's probably going to make fun of your clothes or your, your choices in uh, skin tattoos. Mm -hmm. I did like that part where she like looks at the infinite versions of herself in the mirror. And she's like, not a cell phone in sight, just me (laughs) infinitely vibing. You love to see it. <laughs> and then Dreams by Bootman Max starts playing and she drinks some ocean spray. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. This episode is like, you know, I like the cuteness of it. I like its body snatchery stuff, but it was like kind of boring. I didn't really care about the characters or anything. So I don't know. It, it, and I mean, that and the fact that I've been like waiting for it for 10 years, like the, even if it was the greatest episode of all time, I'd probably be let down. So. Yeah, I I can understand that. I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with like the the home screen of the digger. The digger is a dog, right? It looks like a uh, a, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, God, I can't even think of it now. I'm thinking of bulldog, but oh. He's some kind of dog. I don't know. Like, I was real let down by Digger, too, because, like, he doesn't even, like, move. Like, he's not, like, poorly animated and real ugly looking. Yeah, it's just it's just this dog's head 
and like part of its shoulders encircled by this periscope looking thing and its mouth does not move like they did this cgi cobra in the previous episode but i guess they were trying to make it look like computers did at that time like when you had any sort of search engine or home office in which case that would have been groundbreaking because google looked like shit back then <laughs> it was goofy as hell but uh yeah diggers like talking to the users and it's like i need to feed information please this is so it like scans the essence of the users and then leaves their body behind as a duplicate copy so the kids are like sucked into this virtual holding cell um with the assumption that I guess that they'll be dissected by this alien race. That's what they say at the end of it. Anyway, the girl holds up a mirror to the monitor when it's shooting a laser beam, and she bounces the laser beam back because that's what she mentioned earlier about all you need is mirrors and light rays. So they brought it full circle. That's how she defeats it. She gives it an information overload and explodes. Yeah, it was a lot like the ending of uh, Freddy Part 4, where they show him the mirror image of himself, and that's what makes him die. So I like that part. It's also like me every morning when I'm in the bathroom, and I look at a mirror image of myself, and I die a little bit (laughs) inside. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's pretty standard ending. And then there's like this, uh, it looks like it's going to be a stinger of like all the um all the little pet toys the pit digger toys that kids were carrying around their pockets look like little little monitors they've all been destroyed except one and the camera pans over to it and you hear like the digger voice come back on but then the girl like stomps on it with her mary jane shoes and it's like not today and then scooches on out of there i thought that was a cute thing at the end yeah i like that part that was fun yeah, and then uh, I think um, Tyler in the Midnight Society ends up texting or paging uh, Megan's pager with the words something like uh, "feed me," "I need information," and Megan freaks out, and then somebody else freaks out, and Tyler's like, it "Took me forever to learn that." Yeah, and then Vange picks up her pager, and she's like, I always wanted one of these, and she just pockets it, and then that's the end of the episode. Yeah, these kids hate each other. They're, it's funny that they're just like, stealing, <laughs> stealing leaving them in the woods. <laughs> it's terrible. Sleep. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's these six episodes. There's seven more, so we'll meet back here next year. This time, hopefully, won't be in lockdown or afraid to get any diseases. Hopefully, there won't be as much disease as there is now. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's only one more season after this. Yeah, and then those yeah. other two episodes that we never watched. Yeah, we'll have to get to those. Mr. Top Hat, I love him. You love to see it. That Top Hat. <laughs> you do love to see it. Um. <laughs> <It's great. clears throat> Well, that's Are You Afraid of the Dark. We hope you've had a spooky Halloween. Mm-hmm. Join yeah. us, please. Let us know what y'all are doing for Halloween funsies, because I could sure use the idea. Make sure that's appropriate for staying inside 
Like, if you're agoraphobic, what do you usually do on Halloween? I want to know. Um, let's yeah. not go outside. No, so are you watching? Are you watching spoopy movies? Are you? Um, are you going to be giving out Halloween candy, or are you throwing it at children? Who knows? Yeah, I think you got to throw it at children. Right? I don't want to get close to kids. Mm-mm, not at all. Not in this environment. Nah, just toss it out there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So let us know. Let us know if your drug dealer uh, ever turned into a snake. <laughs> I think that would be interesting to know. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I actually found that video, so I'm going to send it to you after we're done. Oh, sweet! I want to see that. Yeah, it it's vaguely familiar. Yeah, it's uh you know, it's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a he's got more of like a human shaped head than a cobra head. But it's still spooky. And it's it's kind of like, again, like the New York that I remembered. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what happens. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I guess that's the episode. We'll see you guys next year. Have a spooky time. Find us on Facebook and email us and you know all that other stuff listen to junk food dinner go back and listen to the blind podsman if enough people listen then uh frisbee and patrick will have to do it again i think that's the rules so go back and listen to that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the rules we only have a few episodes left but man we're so we're just so tired all the time (laughs) um yeah so until next halloween or Perhaps sooner, (laughs) this is Parker for Mr. Razorman Frisbee saying thanks for having fun.